When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're excited to introduce our new sponsor, Carrot London. They're an absolute trailblazer in jewellery. In fact, they've created an environmentally conscious community that includes some big names like Lady Gaga and Ellie Golden. The key is lab-grown diamonds. Yes, lab-grown. Growing them in a lab means no mining, no unjust labour and no guilt. We believe this sustainable way of producing diamonds could be the future of the jewellery industry. Because these diamonds don't cost the earth. They save it. <laughs> I just added that. Both literally and figuratively. Competitively priced compared to a minestone, their new Gentle Diamond range aims to be completely carbon neutral. You can find Carrot London at their trendy upmarket boutiques in Covent Garden and White City, or go online at carrotlondon.com. Go get them. Bex, do you <laughs> want to do the intro? Because you'll tell me off that I've done it wrong if I try and do it. Well, maybe if you stop doing it wrong, then you wouldn't get told off. Oh, we were easy <laughs> No, you go, you go. Okay. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined today by Frankie Brunker. Welcome to our fancy studio, Frankie. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's so nice to finally speak to you because we've been trying to get this in the diary for such a long time now, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, it's been a little while. <laughs> yes, yeah. Sorry about that. Mostly on our part, we've had just stuff, just lots stuff. of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to finally meet you. Yeah. Talk us through what, what makes you a fully fledged member of this shitty, horrible, amazing gang. <laughs> so um, when I was pregnant with my first child, I suffered a stillbirth. So my daughter was sadly stillborn in September 2013. Mm. And I was immediately thrust into this um shit version of reality and um my husband and I talked a lot about how we just felt like we were in a nightmare we couldn't wake up from yeah and um we were very fortunate to connect with some other bereaved parents very quickly how did you connect with them was was it a support group or yeah so we were given some material from the hospital and I love to read anything and everything um (laughs) If you if you see me over breakfast, I'll be reading the back of the cereal packet, even though I've read it <laughs> ten times. So I I got back from the hospital and I was looking through this information, like, okay, okay, if I read it, maybe there'll be something in here that will help me. And there was some information about the local Sands group in our area. Mm-hmm. And it was a little drive away from us, about 20 minutes drive. Um, but I emailed the group leader and I said, so can I come along to the next meeting? And she very kindly emailed back and asked me a few details about why I'd got in touch. And I said, well, my baby has literally just died. And Mm -hmm. so this was all, you know, within a week of (laughs) Esme dying. 
And then we found ourselves sat in a group in a room full of um, fellow bereaved parents less than two weeks after she died, which felt wow. slightly mental. And I think I think the group leader and some people in the SANS meeting were almost a bit shocked that we were there yeah. <laughs> so soon. Mm. But I think we needed to be there because it actually it helped us start to process it and come to terms with the fact okay well this is our reality now this isn't just a nightmare there's other people that are in in this nightmare with us so it must be happening you're just you're just in a sort of a desperate need to somehow make this situation a little bit better yeah and for us for us that felt like the natural thing to do I don't think my husband would have decided to do that it was it was my decision. It felt some, like something I needed to do, but he was very happy to support that and come along with me. But we both just sat there. It was like we were suffering from shell shock. Mm. We didn't really say anything for that entire meeting. And I think some people asked us, like, oh, do you want to talk about your baby? And we were a bit like, not not really <laughs> just yeah. immediately sort of tears springing to our eyes and yeah the the great thing about going to a SANS meeting is that the group leaders are very adept at recognizing who needs their handhold hand holding a little bit who's ready yeah. to talk who who needs a bit more space and time and some some parents will just talk like they've got verbal diarrhea for the entire meeting and that's what they need to do. Yeah. And other people are much happier observing and just kind of soaking it all up. And just hearing other people's experiences, it um, it was horrifying in some ways. And that's why some people will go to a meeting and then they'll never want to go back because it's too much to hear all these horrible Sadness. stories. Yeah, yeah and it, they mm. sort of take it all on, all on board a bit too much. Whereas I needed to hear, you're not alone. You're yeah. not a freak because no one we'd known in our immediate circle had ever been through this. And I just felt so just blindsided by it. I yeah. felt stupid in a way that I hadn't tweaked that it could happen to people like us. I mean, I was 30, husband's 31, so age wasn't a factor. Um, I was healthy throughout the pregnancy Mm -hmm. and at this point we hadn't had the post-mortem results come back but we'd seen our daughter in the hospital we'd seen that she was perfect and she was beautiful and they just didn't it we couldn't fathom how this could happen in this day and age yeah but then when you find yourself in a room full of people that have felt similarly when it's happened to them you think okay well this is (laughs) I thought it was shit but now I know it's it's not just me that's had to had this thrown at me and yeah. having now having to deal with it there's plenty of other people that have because I was thinking well are we going to sit there and are we going to hear about how oh this person took drugs or this person smoked throughout their pregnancy? I yeah. didn't know what to expect but yeah. for the for the vast majority of people they'd just been going through a fairly normal pregnancy as well and there hadn't been any warning signs for them really either yeah and um yeah it's just it was comforting and awful all in one go it was yeah. a strange experience but for for us it felt like a real lifeline at the time i mm. just i still call those those friends that i made then um my son's family yeah and how it, long sorry 
no, I was on. just going to say the connection I made with them was just so important to me back then. And yeah. I still feel that bond with a lot of them now. And that's amazing, isn't it? So that was 2013. So that's yeah, um, a lot of a years time ago. ago. <laughs> so my, <laughs> trying to do the maths. <laughs> yeah, my sister Seven. is coming up, to, coming up to eight years ago. Yeah. Yes. My sister, she was um, going online. She was trying to find forums that I could go on to. And I did have a look at some forums, but I thought, well, I'm not sure this is going to be the right way for me to go personally right now because I felt like it was quite a dark place of the internet to Mm -hmm. get sucked into. I'm the sort of person that I can get sucked into things and just become a bit too absorbed with them. So the SANS meetings were perfect in that sense because it's, it's a couple of hours once a month and you know that that's it and you'll have to wait until the next session mm-hmm. to see those people again. Yeah, you basically. can't become obsessed with it. Yeah. And Yeah, I said to my sister, look, I appreciate you signposting me, but I'm mm. not really going to go there right now. And it, there weren't that many around back then either. There was Glow in the Woods. I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's no. quite an old one. And I did read a lot of Still Standing magazine articles. That mm-hmm. was really good because I could kind of – pick them up and go back to them whereas forums I think because you're responding to messages it can feel a bit like oh well I need to go back and see if anyone's responded to me or I need to check in with that person because totally out for help whereas the articles it was kind of you could dip in and out take it or leave it depending on how you're feeling I guess the nice thing about the face-to-face groups as well is that presumably most of these people live locally fairly locally so if you wanted to see them outside of the groups and have that connection with someone who understood you can do that more than once a month if you wanted to yeah and I did um I found out quite early on that there were a few babies from from the group that were buried in the same woodland that Esme is so we, we would sometimes meet up there and you'd be going for a nice walk and that can feel a bit less um intense than a meeting as well yeah. if you're outside and going for a walk I do remember one uh, one time meeting up with this woman from the support group though she'd brought her toddler with her and this this toddler was just being a typical toddler <laughs> just sort of running off ahead of us then refusing to walk for a bit and I was like well this is uh, sort of showing me that you know maybe motherhood isn't that great anyway <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not missing out on so much but Obviously, I I didn't feel that really, but it's just it was just a f- funny thought that struck me. Like, yeah, um, yeah, she's got her own problem, sort of thing. So I think sometimes when you meet other bereaved parents, you can you can do that whole comparison thing, and that mm-hmm. can be quite dangerous. So you're sitting there, you're listening to people, and they're saying, do. "Oh, it's so tough. I've got these kids at home." And you're like, "Oh, I would do anything to have kids at home." Yeah, like, Hello. yeah. I don't have anything. <laughs> I'm just crying myself to sleep every night. Yeah. And then waking up to an empty house. How hard can your life be? And then you actually think think about it some more and you think, oh, actually that's a whole other level still hard, of just different. Yeah. 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 Compa- what was it Ruth Corden said? Comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. makes you feel and I think that's the same in in all different things. You know, we I think just through life we tend to compare ourselves to others but you're right within this you know that that you could say oh a stillbirth is worse than a early pregnancy loss and and all that sort of stuff and there's a lot of that in our community but actually 
it's just different. The whole experience is just so different and you can't compare what the, the two because they are so different. And I think that if we can move away that com- from that comparison, it's, yeah. um, it's going to be good for, for everyone, isn't it? It, it really is a thief of joy. And yeah. so how long before you wanted to, when you were in these meetings, how long before you wanted to share your story? Oh, it was um, probably the next meeting that I went to. Oh, right. Okay. And actually, because we'd said, I think we'd said, oh, well, our daughter's just died and we've actually got the funeral um, next week. And there's people were like, oh, bloody hell, you haven't even had the funeral yet, that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. And, um, and so the next meeting, it was kind of, oh, well, how did the funeral go? So, oh, okay, so yeah. something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. it's like a topic yeah. of conversation. Yeah. The funeral go. <laughs> And oh. weirdly enough, it was um, it was October by then, so it was Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and we'd had the wave of light. You know, there's all these mm. things, and then it was kind of coming up to Christmas. So there's always these topics that you can kind of that give you a little kickstart into different conversations, yeah. little insights into oh, well, how have you dealt with it? What's what have you found helpful in the past? And you can talk about what you're dealing with that moment and you hear about someone else that's just about to return to work and in, internally you're thinking oh gosh I don't feel ready to go back to work yet but yeah. I definitely want to hear about how they're approaching it because definitely I, it might not be that much longer for me until I start thinking about that yeah so it can be really helpful just to to start mapping out like oh what's it going to be like for me at that point in my journey that kind of thing and the I remember thinking the group leader just seemed so together and just so full of humor and just seemed like her life was was good and And presumably sorry put my teeth in presumably she'd been through a stillbirth herself yeah so well hers was actually neonatal death so her daughter had had um, a heart condition that hadn't been picked up in the in the pregnancy and it was only when she was born that they realized her heart Mm. wasn't going to work properly and it wasn't something they could operate on so her baby had died very quite soon after birth but she'd gone on to have two more daughters sometimes they'd interrupt our meetings actually because um they'd sort of be halfway through bedtime or something and they'd come down and say night man can I just give you a hug (laughs) and uh it was very sweet that must have been quite difficult though was it sometimes it was a little bit but it kind of gives you a bit of hope as well because you think well I know I I I hate it when people say like oh such and such oh they they experienced this and then they went on to have five kids or great (laughs) yeah fantastic for them but that has no relevance to me but it just, in a way, it sort of gives you a snapshot into, okay, well, their their life is carrying on. They're able to laugh. And, and I'm sure it's yeah. not just because they've got living children here. They've got other stuff going on. Their yeah. life is, has kind of grown around the loss. It's not all consuming because it was all we could think about for yeah, a lot of course. after Esme died. It was just constantly on our minds. And mm-hmm. she is still always in our thoughts but not in the sort of oppressive bringing tears to your eyes sense that's that feels like a long a long way away now so uh, that's a relief quite honestly yeah I'm sure under that heavy cloud is um really exhausting especially when people don't know that you're dealing with that yeah yeah that can be really difficult yeah, I used to want to just wear a badge just to say, please be gentle with me. 
my daughter yeah. died or something I'm <laughs> fragile at the moment yeah exactly tread carefully because yeah I'll anything will tip me over the edge right now yeah exactly yeah and so how did you cope with your grief how did life look after after that once you you were going to the sands meetings yes yeah, so I was going to the sands meetings um journaling did a lot of journaling mm-hmm. that really helped my mum gave me a notebook actually probably when we went back into hospital when I was induced um to give birth to Esme and so it started quite early on just writing stuff down I'm I've always enjoyed writing but I wouldn't describe myself as a writer as such but it, the instinct to write was quite strong and yeah. so I thought mm-hmm. right well let's just go with that then and other times I just didn't I wanted to have some escapism so I remember my friend bought me this Jeeves and Worcester anthology mm-hmm. and I don't think I'd ever heard of Jeeves and Worcester stories but it was the perfect book to just pick up and dip into I don't know if you know much about the stories but they're just stupid stories that you can they're short stories so you don't feel like you have to get into a whole big plot but it's the same characters so if you've if you've enjoyed one story you're probably going to enjoy the next story and you can just yeah dip in and out and it feels like a bit of escapism because it wasn't a world it's it's sort of like I don't know 1930s England and the relationship between this man and his butler so it's it's not anything oh. that feels Jeeves like is the butler life. I think Jeeves is the butler yeah, yeah. that's why you got asked Jeeves yeah mm. oh sounds <laughs> you old enough to remember that oh yeah <laughs> um yeah and then uh, we also got into a box set um the killing Oh, but crucially, it was the original <laughs> version, which I think is Danish, maybe. Yeah, so I was going to say it's subtitles, isn't it? Yeah, and we yeah. needed that because if you are sat there watching something, in you know what it's like. You probably, you probably do it now. I don't know. I do. If I'm watching something, I'll only probably only be half watching it because I'll be on my phone or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. But if you're, oh, you're reading the cereal box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But if you're watching something with subtitles, you've got to watch it. You've got to mm. give it your full attention, right? So, and it's quite a gripping story. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I have to say, I don't think I would have chosen it if I'd known what the subject matter was, maybe, because it was a missing girl that ends, ends up having been murdered. So yeah. you're, you're, you sort of get an insight into what the parents are dealing with grief-wise. Yeah, yeah. But it's such a different circumstance. I mean, this was a much older girl that had been murdered so mm-hmm. it was enough it, to take your mind away yeah, fully, there was like, no completely pregnancy. forget about reality for a while yeah, yeah. and there's no pregnancies there's no mention of baby loss so <laughs> yeah there weren't the same sort of triggers in that respect and it just it sort of matched our mood because it's all gloomy and all a bit depressing and so it was like, yeah, that, that's what I need. And my, so I remember my sister was telling me, oh, watch this um, Sasha Baron Cohen film. Watch this comedy, Will Ferrell comedy. I was thinking, no, that I'm not going to be able to do that. Like, yeah. I couldn't even listen to pop music for a long time. You know, like oh. I, I listen to pop music mainly. But if I could tolerate any music, it had to be like quite mournful classical music. Yeah. Because <laughs> I felt like anything else just jarred completely with, with mm. what was going on inside of me. That makes it's sense. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think so that, as you just said, you know, your friends 
saying, oh, watch this, watch this, trying to get you out of that mood. And yeah, that's, yeah. But actually, if you, it's almost like you absorb yourself in it and you just let it kind of, and I always feel so much better if I, if I, I can't remember the right word, but you know, if you kind of, it's a bit like divulge, <laughs> but if you really like, wallow for a little what, while what, yeah wallow but I can't remember the right word anyway if you let yourself go into that kind of music and that really immerse yourself in it it does yeah. actually have that kind of cleansing effect of just letting it all run through you and being feeling exactly as you say like your brain and your everything around you your atmosphere is in the same place and I think I find that quite soothing and comforting yeah yeah I mean I remember we listened to some music that we'd we'd put together this playlist when I was pregnant with Esme and it was um something that I'd planned to listen to while giving birth and we listened to it on our way to a holiday we went we took well call it a holiday it wasn't really a holiday it was kind of a, a bit of an escape I suppose you would call it while my husband was still off work just after she died we just needed a change of scenery we just mm. needed to get out of our house and just be together Mm. completely different part of the world so we wouldn't bump into anyone we knew so we went to like the depths of Lincolnshire um I don't know if you know um oh, I can't remember I can't even remember the name of the town but it's like but it's like you were in a time warp it had a blockbuster on the high street and oh wow even even in 2013 that was like bloody hell what's that <laughs> in a video shop weird um and um that was Woodhall Spa that's the name of it it's a really lovely place, but it is stuck in a time warp. So, but that's just it, what you needed at that, yeah, at that moment really in time. It really was. And yeah. on the way, we listened to this music, and we—I was just crying pr- pretty much the whole time. And my, my husband said, "Do you want to turn this off?" I said, "No, no," because <laughs> I sort of needed to just get those tears out. But you yeah. sort of have to be ready for it. So when I was just pottering about the house at home. I couldn't just have those kind of tunes on or the radio. It just, it didn't feel right. I had to kind of brace myself for it and mm-hmm. be in the right place. So yeah, I think yeah. it's really important to kind of go with what feels right for you at any given moment. You know, if, if you are the kind of person that loves to watch random comedies, you know, by all means, whack on Bridesmaids and yeah, escape for a while. But for me, that just it didn't feel right at the time. So I mm. need to veer away from that. For then. And you need to do what's what's right for you. Mm. Yeah. Because like you say, the people around you often try to G you up, don't they? Yeah. Try to make you feel better. And, and um, you'll try anything, won't you? So you'll fit yeah. yourself into any sort of shape. <laughs> yeah, but grief make is feel a process, better. right? And you've yeah, got to yeah, go yeah. through that awful shitty bit to be able to come out of the other end that little bit stronger if you cut yeah. out that messy middle chunk it'll come back and bite you in the ass yeah yeah so I had a book recommended to me which I always recommend to other people now it's called an exact replica of a figment of my imagination and wow that by... sounds very cerebral <laughs> um it's it's quite cerebral in a way it's by it's by a professional um writer so before she went through baby loss she was a professional writer and I think you can really tell when you're reading it she she knows how to write and Mm -hmm. that was really amazing I loved it but I had to be in the right 
mood for it so sometimes there'll be an Ajeeves in Worcester mood <laughs> sometimes yeah. it'd be kind of okay let's read this and cry my eyes out and mm. actually feel less alone because mm. she would be right I would be reading her words and think oh my god this is this is exactly how I feel sometimes and it would just be like putting my soul onto a page it was incredible and yeah. I, I couldn't write like that my journal is like a teenager's diary <laughs> that's fine <laughs> no one's no one's ever going to be reading that that's fine but f- for her to have that those powerful words and I actually I actually gave it to my mother-in-law I said I'd really love you to read this and she looked a bit kind of oh do I have to and then a couple of weeks later she she gave it back to me and she said I just can't sorry because uh, I I desperately wanted people to understand yeah. what I'm going through. This is how I'm feeling. And other people around me were a bit like, no, nah, we don't really need to hear that, folks. <laughs> That's a bit oh. too much for us. Because they were dealing with it in their own way. They had their yeah. own grief. Yeah, yeah I guess so. a long time to realise that and appreciate it because... I was just kind of, but what about me? And why can't yeah. you be support me the way I need you to be? But they weren't they weren't able to for whatever reason. And I can't hold that against them because that's all they were able to offer right then. And they she would do do lots of other things for us. Yeah. Know? I mean, she'd bring home cooked meals or she'd come and do some gardening or cleaning. And that was what she could do. Yeah. She didn't want to listen to how difficult it was for me that was just unbearable for her oh that's sad yeah it's really sad but then as you say like everyone has it differently and deal with yeah. it differently but I think that's quite a difficult concept to get your head around when you're in the midst of a um yeah of the darkness a lot of things you can appreciate as time has gone on like I mm. always say that I only now appreciate how awful it was for the people around me the situations I put them in like I don't want to hear about your pregnancy but if you don't tell me I'll be really angry like you just you can't win in those situations yeah. but I, at the time I didn't I couldn't appreciate that because it was about me because I was the one that was going through the awful time yeah um, but mm. now I I see it I appreciate it but um yeah. I think you, you need to have a bit of space and time to be able to gain that perspective definitely yeah. You've already already mentioned about journaling um, yeah. and, and writing and that you're not a writer, but you sort of are, aren't you? Well, I am now, yeah. <laughs> so tell um, us about your book. So my book is called These Precious Little People. And the idea came to me because when Esme died, we had young children in our family. So we had... Um, three nephews and a niece and I had a cousin who was also very young so they were all under the age of seven and they needed to be told what happened to Esme and it was really really difficult for Mm. all of the parents of those children to to find the words to use. Presumably they've not had to to tell them anything like this before and how do you begin to find those words yeah exactly it's um it was really difficult for them um I think my sister um just kind of went from the heart and she just told them this is what's happened she just used very honest language and she was crying a lot so they knew something was wrong whereas um my sister-in-law dealt with it quite differently she 
she found it very difficult, but she didn't want to be crying in front of them. So she was trying to sort of hold it together and deliver the news very calmly. And um, they found a book called Waterbugs. And well, I think I found the book for them and offered it to them, Waterbugs and Dragonflies. It's a bit more of an abstract explanation and it's um, more suitable if your family's kind of leaning on the religious side because it kind of indicates that there is a life after death yeah but we don't know what it is and we'll never know until it's our turn to find out but trust that they are having a great time I got rid of that book when my granddad died (laughs) oh what did you think of it uh I think I was 11 at the time I don't don't really know how I felt about it except that I treasured it yeah and I kept it forever it's yeah, a really it it's a really special story and it's one that we actually had read out at Esme's funeral. Um, but it is quite an abstract book. I yeah. think it doesn't really give you the because my my I remember my nephew who was six at the time, he just turned six, and he was kind of, well, yeah, that's a nice story about all suppose of dragonflies, but what's that got to do with yeah baby you're telling me about the stars? <laughs> it was like, yeah, but how did she die? What what exactly happened to her? And I remember why, why? Yeah. Why? <laughs> we we went round to see them not that long after she died. And he started playing this game where he fell down on the floor. And I said, oh, what's happened? What's happened? He said, oh, my heart stopped beating. And I thought, oh, I'm pretty sure that's how it was explained to you. Yeah. They died. So don't really know how to deal with this. And yeah, I just yeah. I just kind of went along with his game and I said, oh gosh, your heart's just stopped beating. Oh no, that means you've died. <laughs> and, and then I was like, oh gosh, should we call the ambulance? And because I just didn't really know how to handle it. Because yeah. if, for Esme, there was no chance of getting her back. We yeah. couldn't. And I think for some kids that's, I mean, even me in the hospital to be like, what do you mean telling me her heart stopped beating? Well, why isn't anyone like, you know, calling for the crash team? <laughs> like yeah. you see on casualty it just I mean all of those thoughts just flipped flitted through my head in an instant so I did know she died but I think there is a part of you in the background that's like but how is this not an emergency why aren't you doing something about this yeah and to to realize that the finality of it is just horrifying and I think he was a bit anxious for a time you know what 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 are you telling me that someone can just die just yeah. like that their heart can just stop beating I think that was his way of processing it it's it's so sort of games it's so difficult isn't it because there's such a fine line of what what you do tell children because I remember when we had Emma Poor on mm-hmm. the podcast and she was talking about what they said to their children saying you know they fully saying that she made mistakes because she said originally Liddy her daughter that that died had um you know gone to sleep and yeah. I think that's a very common one people say oh she's they've gone to sleep and they're, they're she's gone to sleep and she hasn't woken up type thing mm. and then these kids are terrified of going to bed in case they do the same <laughs> but it's such a or they were all... they were sick or they weren't very well and then the next yeah. time they get a cold they're like am I gonna die yeah, yeah. And, and it's sometimes kids baby, are so yeah. yeah sometimes babies do die because they're sick or unwell but I didn't want to lie and because we didn't know that there was anything wrong with Esme yeah and actually it's still unknown why she died mm. it's, it just, is isn't it yeah it's that's um, just torture I think uh, yeah and it was actually really shocking to me we were sat in the post-mortem results appointment and the consultant just 
just had no no answers I'm laughing now but at the time I felt really angry mm. really angry I would mm. swear use a swear word right now but you can <laughs> try and keep the worst girl gang ever podcast okay you can swear all you like yeah, oh. I haven't used the c oh. word yet <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Hold I don't it think she's going to go in with the c word, mate. <laughs> no, I was going to. Well, she's welcome really, to if she wants to. Really fucking angry, because I just thought, how are you? Ta- you know, you've taken my daughter's body away, examined it, you've taken her apart mm. and put her back together again. Sorry to be for graphic. nothing. For nothing. Yeah. 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 It's. I mean, yeah. I, I would always, always say I have no regrets about doing that because if I hadn't, if we hadn't had the post mortem. I would then be torturing myself. Oh, but if I had the post postmortem, that might have come up with yeah, a reason. Yeah, and I guess yeah. <laughs> does it give you peace of mind when you go on to try again that it's not something that was um, um, like a genetic? Really, I know. And actually, we we sat in the appointment. We asked about that. That was one of our little questions on yeah. the list. Oh, we must make sure we ask this. And she actually said, "Well." Um, you've actually got a slightly higher chance of having a silver next time. Really? So, are you fucking kidding me? And then she said, Oh, the only thing we'd really recommend, you know, is if you um, you know, get down to a healthy weight, stop smoking. I was thinking, okay, well, I'm not a smoker, and okay, I'm not a model, but I'm but I've just know, had a baby. I'm a healthy weight right? and size for <laughs> for my build. I, I can't. I can't really go on a crash diet or anything. Yeah. Do they expect you to be skinny? I think what she was trying to say is there's nothing we can do for you. You know, there's no Mm. recommendation we can make for you. We don't know why your baby died. So in these circumstances, the because I was actually asking what I was asking a more general question as well. I was kind of saying, look, what are you doing about this? You know, I've been sat in these SANS meetings. There's other parents like me. Mm. Our babies are dying. Like, how is this not an emergency situation here? Yeah. Like, whoa, ha- hang on a minute. Healthy babies are dying and we don't know why. This mm. is something we should maybe look into. But it just didn't seem that there was no, no sense of urgency. And she she actually did shrug her shoulders a little bit and say, oh, it's just one of those things. And mm. that that really made my blood boil because mm. I just thought, that's not good enough. I'm yeah, sorry. just one of the just one of those things to you is my whole life changing forever and my baby dying, which is yeah. fundamentally the worst thing that you, you can go through as a parent, isn't it? And that's yeah. not just one of those things. That is my world caving. Yeah. yeah. And um, I've had to explain it to people that have taken similar views as well. And in a, I've tried to be kind of gently educational, I suppose you could say, and try and just advocate for our unborn children mm. and say, look, people probably used to say that about cancer, for example. Like, oh, oh bad luck for you. Sorry, shame. Mm. But then there was a sea change and people started saying well actually I don't think we should just accept this let's mm-hmm. do it how about we do a bit more research and let's raise some money let's yeah. find some cures yeah. exactly exactly and and so I was trying to suggest like maybe the same could happen with baby loss you know <laughs> you don't just have to these are people that are dying this this yeah. is what I, I don't think comes across to a lot of people they don't consider unborn babies as people as individuals mm. And yes, it is very upsetting for us as the parents, but I also think it's an absolute tragedy that those children 
have lost their lives mm-hmm. and that's I think that's what made me so upset and angry for a really long time that Esme was cheated of her chance at a life and I yeah. I would have swapped places with her in an instant to give mm. her that chance and that obviously can't happen but I just feel like this is an outrage that babies are just being allowed people are just being allowed to die like this and it's kind of written off as oh, yeah do you think things aren't changing I think they are now yeah and of course there have always been people around that have been banging that drum and trying yeah. to advocate for change but it's just felt like a real slog at times mm. and it's it does often feel like you're talking within a bit of an echo chamber you're talking to other people that care about it <laughs> yeah you're quite a small group of people and yeah. the group is getting larger preaching to the people, converted yeah shouting right, yeah. a bit louder and it's starting to echo out you know reach outside of the echo chamber but I think um I heard Jenny Ag speak recently about how yes it is miscarriage is still a taboo but you know why are we in, why do we have to go from encouraging people to talk about it? Why aren't we encouraging people to do more to stop it happening in the mm-hmm. first place? And I, I've always thought that about stillbirth as well. You know, breaking the taboo about talking about it is one thing, but I don't want these babies to be dying full stop. Mm-hmm. That should yeah. not be happening in this day yeah. and age. And of course, you you won't be able to prevent some babies dying. And that is a tragedy. And it's very sad. But there are a lot of stillbirths that you can prevent. Yes. How That's do you know, idea. like the the stats? Like, how many percentage are like no known cause? It's I a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it was around fifty percent when Edsmay died. It might even have been slightly higher than that. I think only ten percent were down to congenital abnormalities, some of which may not have been picked up until birth. So but, like half um, of these babies that are dying, if they were delivered a few weeks before. They could still be alive. I mean, alive. I, I get questions from my own living children now, you know, why did Esme die? And I can't, mm. I can't say, oh, there was nothing wrong with her because it might be that there was something wrong with her, but it just couldn't be discovered through mm. a post-mortem. I feel like I'm a bit too um, pedantic about this for my own good sometimes <laughs> because I, I don't want to fudge it. I don't want to lie to them. No, fair and, enough. Yeah. Yeah, me telling them, oh, we just don't know. She seemed like she had nothing wrong with her. It might just be that science hasn't developed enough to be able to give us an answer. Mm. That, to a three- or four-year-old, is like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like it's a step along the way to helping them become little advocates as well. No, they shouldn't. They should grow up thinking, well, yeah, you're telling me that's really bad that reason, we don't know how she died. And, yeah, we yeah. don't have to accept it. And I've always said to them, there are people that are trying to find some answers, but unfortunately, they don't get a lot of funding. So we've done fundraising together to try and make a little, a tiny difference in the small way that we can to actually go some way to changing that. I mean, I do have some sort of. Um, secret ambition that Jago and Dayla, my living children, will become researchers for Tommies. But <laughs> that's maybe yes. a bit a bit much to put on their shoulders at their age. I haven't told I haven't told them that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you so you mentioned your your living children so how long was it after Esme was born that you decided to try again I think it was quite soon after but we were told to wait six months okay until trying again and I pushed I said well was there a particular reason for that and she's she said um well it'll give your uh, your body a chance to heal and be ready for another pregnancy and also psychologically it might be helpful for you to wait that long because then you're not pregnant at exactly the same time of year and of course I'm sat there thinking well you're presuming that you know six months on the dot we are going to conceive immediately yeah. so that's yeah 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 really always how it works <laughs> and how but, did you how how quick was the conception well I because because she couldn't really she couldn't give us a definite like no six months is the optimum it was just kind of vague advice I managed to persuade my husband like look I don't think we need to wait that long let's just see what happens after about three months you know we won't pin our hopes on it happening straight away yeah because we did we did we were one of those insanely lucky couples that conceived first time with Esme much to my delight but I hadn't yeah. expected that my husband had said oh no no it'll happen straight away you'll see you'll see <laughs> and I was thinking yeah I don't think it will but okay I love your optimism but mm-hmm. But he was right. And then um, I'd, various things just made it more difficult with um, with my son. Um, so my cycles went quite back to normal, things like that. And I think I started using a pre- pregnancy test because my period was really late, but my periods were all over the place still. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if it was late or just not turning up. I, I just had no idea. So it's day 58 of my cycle that I tested positive um, with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I still to this day don't know what happened there. But I, of course, that's where the dating scan comes in. So yeah. that gives you a clearer idea when conception wow. happened. So um, I think we were only a couple of weeks out from when I thought I might have conceived. And so he was due middle of November. And then right. because of what happened to Esme, they said, right, well, we would recommend that she's born before, uh, sorry, your new baby is born um, before your daughter died. Um, so she died when I was 38 weeks and two days pregnant. So we went in for indu- induction 37 weeks, two days pregnant, <laughs> exactly a week before. And right. he was born the next day. So induction didn't take long and his birthday is October 27th so he's just over a month after a year and a month after Esme had died so it was all quite quick really when I think back to it now I think oh was that wise but (laughs) that's what it felt well that's what felt natural at the time so and how did you really was the pregnancy with your son completely were you completely anxiety you know were you full of anxiety the whole time yeah Yeah. but there was a lot of joy there as well a lot of gratitude because Mm -hmm. I knew well bloody hell we're lucky that we're pregnant again at all because we knew people in our sans group and actually I I felt weird about still going because we were sat there pregnant again Mm. and there were people that were coming along that were quite new to the group 
and they'd lost IVF babies or they were quite a lot older than us. So the chances of them conceiving again were a lot slimmer. And, and so I'm sat there thinking, well, I'm finding this pregnancy really difficult, but I'm really lucky to be pregnant mm. again, you know, to have this chance. And I never for one second thought, oh, this baby will be fine. Mm. I, I always felt like it is not a given at any point of this pregnancy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just to have that chance felt amazing. Felt absolutely incredible. Such a gift. And was it a complication-free pregnancy? Yeah, it was. It, <laughs> both, both Esme's and Jago's pregnancies were just textbook, I would say. Um, so very fortunate in that regard as well, because I know quite a lot of other parents, um, bereaved parents that have had really horrendous pregnancies each time, you know, with mm. various complications cropping up and, you know, it just becoming really, really difficult emotionally and physically and being told their baby might die. You know, there's all these, I think connecting with bereaved parents is amazing and I'd always recommend peer support but it can be really fucking terrifying at yeah, the same yeah. time because you realize like shit I never realized that could go wrong or yeah. and I've I've had several parents say to me yeah the sans group is great for people that want to go there but I don't want to hear about all these different ways that babies can die because yeah. I want to try and have another baby and I'm just going to have those stories in my head all the time <laughs> there's kind mind. of a yeah there's an absolute I think there's a time for it as well and it's not like it's like with our we were talking about this um with our zoom online course our zoom meeting last night and there is a time and a place for our Facebook support groups. And I think when you first experience loss, you want to immerse yourself in it. Mm -hmm. Immerse is, by the way, the word I was struggling uh, to earlier. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> you, that's what you want to hear. All you want to hear is the pain and the kind of, you will want to absorb it and stuff. But then Because your life you, is all about that at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah you yeah. don't, you, you're not there. You just want to sit in the darkness and dwell on it and be... Yeah miserable and that's brilliant that's fine that is such yeah. a, a a really important part of the grief process in my opinion but then I think you reach a point where as you say I imagine when you were pregnant and especially when you started showing your pregnancy started showing that actually it probably felt more upsetting for you to be among these people that were still in that very very dark dark depths of their grief because I imagine that you felt not only did you feel like you were maybe perhaps a little bit beyond that in that in in your process but also that you might the effect that you might have on them must have been really challenging to kind yeah. of to let I mean, go of because it was I, so important to you at the time just after Esme died yeah I would I would say it's really complicated and like you say everyone's an individual but for me I really desperately needed to still go because so many people around me were focused on this new pregnancy of mm -hmm. mine and the sans groups it was like that's my esme time and i guess yeah to yeah yeah so it was like a connection yeah. to her yeah yeah absolutely and even hearing other people's stories i'd be like yeah yeah i've been through that and it just felt good to be amongst people that got it but i was yeah. very aware that my bump i couldn't wear you know flowing dresses and maternity tops 
big enough to cover my huge bump by the end and so I just I did feel aware that this must be difficult for other parents to see and I I remember I had a really good chat with this woman that was sat next to me it was when I was quite close to giving birth to Jago and she just said how how are you doing with this new pregnancy because often it's kind of a a chat amongst everyone that's there it's not often that you break off and have little Mm. one-on-ones but on this occasion it was like someone was deeply engrossed in a conversation on the other side of the room. She just said, how, how are you doing with this uh, pregnancy? And she'd been through a pregnancy after loss. So I knew it was, you know, she was happy to talk about it. Yeah. So I just said, I'm really fucking terrified. Yeah. And as I get closer to giving birth, I just keep thinking, oh my God, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Yeah. But you know, I'm so close, but I know it could just be snatched away at any minute. And everyone around me is kind of getting more and more excited. And I'm sure they were nervous as well. And they were probably just not trying not to show yeah. it. But there was a lot of talk of like, oh, when when Jay goes here, because we named him and shared news of, you know, who he was before he um, arrived. So they were using his name with us and everything. They were, They were talking about when. And I was still talking about if, if yeah. because yeah, yeah, it yeah. just felt so, it just felt too much to hope that we would get to bring him home and have those next steps. My my sister was trying to give me hand-me-down baby clothes and, oh, have you thought about using reusable, reusable nappies? I was like, look, I can't, I just can't, can't contemplate that right now. Um, I haven't thought about anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean... Having, this baby that's all yeah exactly and she was just sort of thinking in practical terms like well the baby's gonna need gonna be pooing and weeing and it's like well they might not be if they're dead so (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, you sort of have to be that blunt sometimes and just shut them up because (laughs) they're trying to be positive and look to the future and you're just not at that point yet and I was Mm. trying not to worry too much but I just needed to stay in the here and then and just be like, okay, that this is what I'm dealing with right now. Is the baby moving? Am I feeling all right? You know, just checking in all the time, but not going too far ahead. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was a bit like that. I was very matter of fact about yeah my pregnancy with Bertie. And I used to say, people would say, when, oh, when, when's your baby due? And I'd say, well, hopefully March. What do yeah. you mean hopefully? Well, who knows? We don't know. I'm pregnant doesn't mean I'm having a baby, does it? We'll see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it sounds it probably sounds awful to some people. Like, what do you mean? You might not be having a baby. You are having a baby. <laughs> and I would sometimes say, yeah, I I'm definitely having a baby. I know that, but I don't know if it's going to be alive. You know, <laughs> mm. that's sort of what I'd add in yeah. my head afterwards. And that's mm. why I wanted to tell people what. Um, sex baby we were having and share the name because to me they were already a little person and I didn't want to dismiss the fact that they existed I know some people find it much easier to go through pregnancy in denial and not thinking about the baby too much but I loved thinking about my baby mm. and bonding with them still singing to them and rubbing that cream on your belly that smells like cocoa butter you know, that was all stuff that I'd enjoyed doing with Esme. And I thought, well, hopefully she had a happy life inside of me. And if this baby only gets to live inside of me, I want their life to be a happy one as well. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I remember when Jago was born, he was such a fretful baby. I thought, oh no, it's because I was so anxious during my pregnancy <laughs> with him. But I couldn't be any other way. You know, I tried yeah. to lean into that joy and be happy that I was pregnant again. But I couldn't get away from that stress and that anxiety. That's just, I, I found that impossible to turn off. Yeah. Mm. So, Frankie, where can people find your book? So if you go onto bit.ly, that's spelled L-Y, forward slash precious little people, that's the book's website. And that will have a link to the Joel shop so it's all the proceeds from the sales of the book go to a charity called Joel the Complete Package. And it's also available through Amazon UK, but more of the money goes to Joel if you buy it direct from them. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you. And um, yeah, I think it's just a, a really useful book to give people that language that sometimes they struggle to find if they are okay, having fantastic. to break the news to children, especially younger children, because... You don't know how much, you don't always know how much detail to go into, but I think mm-hmm. it just gives you that framework to start those conversations. And it is it is a conversation that that begins and there's no end to it. Yeah. Because kids yeah. will will go away and they'll think about it a bit and then they'll come back with other questions. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many weird and wonderful questions <laughs> from the kids in my family about Esme and um, including oh, what does she look like now? Can we dig her up? And you're thinking, not really. (laughs) I, as an adult, I don't really want to think about what her body looks like now. But when you're going to visit her grave for the kids, that's a natural question. You know, like you're telling me she's buried in the ground. Well, what's that like? What's what's her body going to be like now? And you think, well, yeah, as a kid, I probably would have had that sort of question as well. Yeah. Bless them. Yeah. And I don't ever get upset by questions like that. You have to find a bit of, you have to tap into your darkly humorous side because I otherwise... But it's quite nice for them to ask questions about her, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I, I remember one time our, um, my niece was on a visit to Esme's Woodland with us and she suddenly realised she was desperate for the loo and she just couldn't wait and just had to pee on Esme's grave. <laughs> And my sister looked at me and looked really mortified, like, oh, God, what is Frankie going to think? And I I just laughed. I just said, oh, well, I don't know if uh, Esme would have been weed on by her cousin if she was alive, but (laughs) could have happened. So you just sort of have to try and see the funny side of some of these situations. Uh, Kids are funny. They they? are. are funny. They are. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Frankie, it was lovely to meet you. And really nice. Yeah, to thank you, you so thank you so much for being so honest as well about your experiences. It's um it's a horrific thing to go through, but I think obviously listening to other people is so helpful, as you found at that first SANS meeting mm. yeah. when you weren't ready to share your story, but but you enjoyed listening to other people's. I think that's that's what the, what this will hopefully do to someone out there who's just experienced the the loss um yeah, of a baby. So. I mean, enjoyed is maybe a strong word, but <laughs> found, a, found a bit of comfort in, I yeah. would say. Found it helpful, yeah, of course. Yeah, of found course. it helpful, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. All right, well, you go and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, thanks, you too. Yeah, we shall. All right, nice to see you. Take All right, care. take care. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our pathway to recovery, please visit our website. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.